Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Today is Election Day in the United States of America, and in honor of that, I have a story to tell you about something that happened yesterday in 1837. It's about a man named Elijah P. Lovejoy, probably not a on-the-tip-of-your-tongue name, unless you happen to come from a certain region of St. Louis and Alton over the river in Illinois, in which case you've certainly heard this name. The local library is named after him, and there's a monument to him in the local graveyard, and yet, despite being credited as one of the earliest and most influential members of the abolitionist movement in the United States, even by Abraham Lincoln and John Brown, he's still not a name that most people have heard. So who was Elijah P. Lovejoy? Well, he was a young man who was from the Northeast, and he traveled west to St. Louis, and he kind of got involved with newspapers, and then he felt a calling to theological seminary at Princeton, and then he got lured back to St. Louis to work on a newspaper, and although he was originally not all that much of an abolitionist over time, he became more and more convinced of the rightness of the abolitionist movement, and he wrote ever stronger condemnations of it in Missouri, which of course was a slave state at the time as part of the Missouri Compromise. As you might suspect, the pro-slavery forces in Missouri did not like that very much, and after a lot of wrangling and drama, you basically had a group of people broken and destroyed the printing press that he was writing these things on. Not the kind of one to wallflower out and quit over the drama, he got another printing press. And a mob broke in again and destroyed that one. Once again, not one to quit easily, Elijah Lovejoy had a third printing press, and all of this taking place in the scope of about a year in 1836 to 1837, he eventually made the decision that it wasn't safe for him to continue publishing in St. Louis, so he decided to move across the Mississippi River to Alton. But before he could do that, the mob attacked his warehouse again, and yes, they burned and threw the printing press into the Mississippi River, the third one. Then, safely over into the free state of Illinois, Elijah Lovejoy set up a fourth printing operation, a newspaper called the Alton Observer. But do you think a river is going to get in the way of the forces of slavery putting up with this cantankerous Presbyterian editorialist? The answer is no. So, on November 2nd of 1837, Lovejoy responded to the threats that continued to come against him by saying in a speech, As long as I'm an American citizen, as long as American blood runs in these veins, I shall hold myself at liberty to speak, to write, and to publish whatever I please, being amenable to the laws of my country for the same. Five days later, a mob crossed the Mississippi from St. Louis and encircled the warehouse where he was secretly keeping his fourth printing press. Shots rang out from the mob into the building. Supporters of his and himself in the building returned fire, even killing one of the members of the mob. They retreated briefly. He opened the door to look outside and see if they had gone. Five bullets hit him and killed him almost instantly. A martyr to the abolitionist cause. Someone about whom 20 years later, Abraham Lincoln, then the future president, said, Lovejoy's tragic death for freedom in every sense marked his sad ending as the most important single event that ever happened in the New World. Strong words. He was buried in obscurity so the crowd wouldn't vandalize his grave, and it wasn't until the end of the century that he was restored to a position of prominence, and as I mentioned earlier, now the library is named after him, there's a monument for him, and he's widely revered as one of the earliest martyrs for the abolitionist cause and the earliest journalist killed in America. But why would I bring this up on election day? For a very simple reason. We often don't think about the importance of elections. And because we don't think about what elections stand for, sometimes 
we say silly things about what we expect a democracy to look like. And one of those things is we get frustrated when people are uncivil. Don't worry, I do it too. I want people to get along, talk nicely. That's why we do the debate, for example, because we're trying to show people that there's a way to understand opponents' views and even engage them critically without hating the people who disagree with us. Something that seems to be a little bit more in jeopardy these days. But whenever I get frustrated about incivility in American politics, I remind myself that politics itself is a substitute for an incredibly uncivil thing, warfare. The reason we do voting is to avoid doing fighting. I mean, just think about the very principle of having an election. There's 25,000 of us living in a small town, and we have to figure out what we're going to do in terms of our leadership. So we have an election. 15,000 of us vote for person A, 10,000 of us vote for person B. Person A gets elected with a 60% majority. Easy, right? Well, what's the alternative? We could fight. We could take up hammers and knives and axes and guns and torches, and we could kill a bunch of people and decide by mob force who's going to run the town. But instead, we have a contest called an election, and we count the number of people on one side, 15,000, number of people on the other side, 10,000, and we say, okay, 15,000 wins it, you guys get to decide for a while. And then in a couple of years, we run the numbers again. It's a much less costly way of doing things than, you know, burning buildings and killing people over politics. And so whenever I think about incivility in politics, I always remind myself that the alternative to an uncivil process like this is warfare, civil warfare, something that, of course, America has seen all too well. And if politics and elections are the alternative to something incredibly violent, we shouldn't be that surprised that there's a little bit of acrimony involved in the process. And I say all of that not as an endorsement of incivility and certainly not as an endorsement of civil war. I say it because the story of Elijah Lovejoy reminds me that when people lose the ability to write and talk and listen and argue and debate and then vote in peace, there's a consequence to that. There's an alternative to that. And although you wouldn't call what happened in Alton a civil war, we all know that 30 years later, there was one over this very issue. And so perhaps instead of complaining about muckraking and negative ads and October surprises so much as an alternative to some ideal system in which we all just get along nicely and debate our views civilly, which again, that would be my preference. It helps me to put things in perspective to remind myself that rather than falling short of some impossible, unattainable ideal of politics, ugly elections are way, way, way better than the incredibly violent alternative that they are a substitute for. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek.